And I'll just go ahead and warn you that when I get excited, I like to go fast. So, don't be afraid to say, hey, Jeremy, whoa. I will get the message, I promise. So, when I was a senior in high school and then in college, and even still today, I believe very strongly that high school seniors, college seniors, they need to set an example of leadership for younger students coming behind them. And this belief of mine, it, it, it almost ended up in, in me being in a, a locker room fight during my senior year uh, as a baseball player at, at Hayden High School, uh, and, and it, was, it was not a great thing. See, we're at practice one day, and it's early in the season, probably before uh, the first game had even been played, so that means we're talking late January, early February in Alabama, which you know is going to be kind of rainy, it's going to be cold, it's just... It's just miserable. It's not great weather to be out in. And so on top of that, we are doing conditioning. Uh, and for baseball, the conditioning that we would do is something called poles. Now, if you're not familiar with, with baseball terminology, you've got a foul pole, one on each side of the outfield wall. And so to run a pole, you would start at one foul pole. You would run along the outfield wall to the, to the other side, and then you would come back, and that would count as one pole. So our coach had given us a specific number of poles that we would run. We're running them. And I get to a point where I realize that one of my fellow seniors has cut his poles short. See, I knew that I was ahead of him the entire time. There was no way that he had passed me. And yet, while I still had one to go, he was already yucking it up with the rest of our teammates who had, who had finished. So the entire time I'm jogging this last pole, I'm like, oh, no, this, uh-uh. we're not doing this. And so I have all of this time to think about what is the right way to handle this situation. And so surely you would think, you know, high school senior Jeremy, I'm going to come up with a mature, great way to handle this situation. I didn't. We get back. I'm bent over. I'm I'm breathing heavy because I'm like, oh, I just worked real hard. And I decide in that moment that I would call out my teammate in front of all our other teammates, in front of our head coach. Wasn't Wasn't a great great idea, but that, that's how we handled that situation. And see, the reason why I did that is I didn't want a fellow senior setting this example for a younger teammate that it was going to be okay for us to cut corners. Because if we did that during practice, what would happen when we played games? We'd get beat. We would lose. They want to lose. Wanted to win. If we as a team were going to succeed, then we all had to play our part to the very best of our abilities so that we as a team would perform well. Now, in the passage that we're going to look at today, I think Paul takes a similar approach to talking about the church. Within the church, you have different people who have all been gifted with different talents, different different abilities. So being gifted in different ways, what we're going to see is that we need to use those gifts to encourage and to build up the rest of our faith family. So loving one another, we work together to help the church accomplish the mission that has been given to us by Christ Jesus. So with that, if you want to go ahead and turn with me, if you're not already there, 1 Corinthians chapter 12, uh, you may know, just some backstory on the letter uh, to the church at Corinth, 1 Corinthians, that this is actually Paul's second letter that we know of to the church at Corinth there. The first was a corrective letter that was meant to address some areas in which they were struggling. So in response to his first letter to them, they have written back to him with some questions, some comments. And so Paul is addressing those in what we have as 1 Corinthians. 
And so it's questions about spiritual gifting that, that Paul is dealing with in our text this morning. So if you will, we're going to pick up in 1 Corinthians chapter 12, starting in verse 12, and we're going to read all the way uh, to chapter 13 through verse 3. The text says this, For just as the body is one and has many members, and all the members of the body, though many, are, are, are one body, so it is with Christ. For in one spirit we were all baptized into one body. Jews or Greeks, slaves or free, and all were made to drink of one spirit. For the body does not consist of one member, but of many. If the foot should say, because I am not a hand, I do not belong to the body, that would not make it any less a part of the body. And if the ear should say, because I am not an eye, I do not belong to the body, that would not make it any less a part of the body. If the whole body were an eye, where would be the sense of hearing? If the whole body were an ear, where would be the sense of smell? But as it is, God arranged the members in the body, each one of them, as he chose. If all were a single member, where would the body be? As it is, there are many parts, yet one body. The eye cannot say to the hand, I have no need of you, nor again the head to the feet, I have no need of you. On the contrary, the parts of the body that seem to be weaker are indispensable. And on those parts of the body that we think less honorable, we bestow the greater honor, and our unpresentable parts are treated with greater modesty, which our more presentable parts do not require. But God has so composed the body, giving greater honor to the part that lacked it, that there may be no division in the body, but that the members may have the same care for one another. If one member suffers, all suffer together. If one member is honored, all rejoice together. Now you are the body of Christ and individually members of it. And God has appointed in the church first apostles, second prophets, third teachers, then miracles, then gifts of healing, helping, administrating, and various kinds of tongues. Are all apostles? Are all prophets? Are all teachers? Do all work miracles? Do all possess gifts of healing? Do all speak with tongues? Do all interpret? But earnestly desire the higher gifts, and I will show you a still more excellent way. If I speak in the tongues of men and of angels, but have not love, I am a noisy gong or a clanging cymbal. And if I have prophetic powers and understand all mysteries and all knowledge, and if I have all faith, so as to remove mountains, but have not love, I am nothing. If I give away all I have, and if I deliver up my body to be burned, but have not love, I gain nothing." So, because I'm a good Baptist, I've got three points for us this morning. And the first one is this. The atoning work of Christ unites his followers as one. So, before we begin to address the text that we just read, I think we need to kind of set up the, the framework for it by, by looking back to the first 11 verses of, of chapter 12. And if we did that, what we would see are multiple layers to the Corinthians' comments and questions uh, about spiritual gifting. And so included in that is a problem that Paul had to address with the Corinthians regarding their attitude about spiritual gifts. See, you had the individuals that had the more visible talents and abilities. They were looking down on those that had the less visible spiritual gifting. And those with the, the less visible spiritual gifting, well, they were forsaking how the Lord had blessed them and gifted them to serve within the body in order to go after that which was more visible. 
And so these competing views about gifts led to fracturing within the church body. It was creating factions, which is never, never good. So what Paul has done, leading into verse 12, is explain that all spiritual gifts, all of them, it does not matter how visible they are, they are all of equal importance in the body because they all come from the same Spirit, through the same Lord, and are empowered by the same God. He's clearly said that God gives different spiritual gifts to different people, and that's okay. It's actually a good and necessary thing. So bearing that in mind, what we see when we start in verse 12 is is Paul's argument that the church needs to be filled with members that have a wide variety of spiritual gifts for the sake of unity and to best go about the mission that Christ Jesus has given to his church. Individuals with certain abilities, they didn't need to be looking down on people who didn't have the same abilities as them, and others didn't need to ignore what abilities they had in order to pursue what someone else had. And so to make this point, he uses the image of a physical body to describe the spiritual bond that all believers have in Christ. So I want to make a, make a point here. In this first section, what we're going to be dealing with is kind of more broad concept. We're going to be talking like capital C church, universal across the board believers in Tuscaloosa, Portland, London, England, Iran, Iraq, China, all across the board. These things affect all of us. And they, the, as we work through the text, it's obviously going to affect everyone. But we're going to see this play out big picture, capital C, and then we're going to hone in on how this plays itself out, how it applies itself within the local church. Because obviously Paul is writing to a local body at the church in Corinth. So I want to make that, that clear as we, as we kind of dive into this. So anyways, coming back to verse 12, it seems like we're reading through an anatomy lesson there at the, at the start of this section. Paul says a human body is, is one body, though it is composed of many body parts. But the many body parts, though they look different, though they perform different functions, they're all still part of the same body. And as Paul says, as it is with the physical, the human body, so it is with the church of Jesus Christ. If you are trusting in Jesus, the Bible tells us that we have been baptized into the body through the Spirit. This is not talking about water baptism, if your mind is instantly going to the dunking in the baptismal. Verse 13 refers to the regenerating work of the Spirit that results in a sinner coming to faith in Christ Jesus. We have the Holy Spirit within us, who is shaping us into who we have already been declared to be in Christ Jesus. We're holy, we are blameless in Christ, and we are being made into that through the regenerating, the renewing work of the Holy Spirit. But here, Paul isn't primarily focused on the work of the Holy Spirit in our individual lives, though that's not out of focus. His main point in this passage is that the same Spirit, the Holy Spirit, he does this work in the life of every Christian. In Christ... Through the Spirit, Paul says that we've all been brought into one body, that being the body of Christ. And Paul goes at at length to show that this includes anyone and everyone who by grace through faith trusts in Christ Jesus as Lord and Savior. And he does this by listing different types of people that would have been on polar opposite ends of the spectrum. You have Jews, Gentiles, slaves, and free persons. The point is that with Jesus, there is no discrimination. In Christ Jesus, 
all Christians have received the same Holy Spirit and have been united together with Him. You know, Paul expounds on this further in Ephesians 2, 14-22, if you want to jot that down and read it later. And he also talks about this in Colossians 3, verse 11, where he writes, Here there is not Greek and Jew, circumcised and uncircumcised, barbarian, Scythian, slave, free, but Christ is all and in all. This truth is a tremendously important element of Jesus' work on the cross. Through his work on the cross, he brings anyone who trusts into him into the greater family of God. Other verses, such as Romans 8, 12-17, Ephesians 1, 5, if you want to jot those down, look those up, they also talk about our adoption into the family of God. But I've said, Paul's not focused specifically on the individual here, but let's do that. Let's do pause for just a second and, and focus on the individual. See, in both Ephesians 2 and in Colossians 1, we read that we're God's enemy. We are openly hostile towards him outside of Christ Jesus. We reject him, and we live in total opposition to everything that he is about. And yet, the Father chooses to subject the Son, God in the flesh, Christ Jesus our Lord, to his wrath for our sin. He empties it on him rather than saving it up for us. Jesus, our Lord, bore it all on himself upon the cross. And for this, he is exalted, being raised from the dead and given all authority in heaven and on earth. Because of this, because of his atoning work on our behalf, through our repenting of our sin, and by faith in Christ Jesus, we're forgiven. And through Jesus... God brings us to himself, making us his children. He loves us through our rebellion, and rather than punishing us like we deserve, he lays it on Christ, so that by grace through faith we can become his sons and his daughters. And through our relationship with God, our relationship with the family of God is established. He makes us together into one family. But now I do want to be clear here that the emptying of his wrath against our sin is only true of those who repent and believe. If you're not in Christ, your sin has not yet been dealt with. You have not been brought into his family. By God's grace through faith in Jesus, it can have been dealt with through Christ's work on the cross. But apart from the repentance of sin and faith in Jesus as Lord and Savior, his wrath is yet stored up for you. And it will be poured out on those who refuse to turn to Christ in faith. But for those who do not, who do trust in Christ Jesus, he has reconciled you to himself through the blood of his son. And that's definitely first layer of our salvation. That's, there's nothing that you're going to find that's more important than that. But what we need to see in this text is that in our conversion, we're not just introduced ourselves into a right relationship with God. He, he takes his blood-bought children and he makes us into one family. It is the church. And this family, this body, using Paul's language from 1 Corinthians 12, he binds together by his Holy Spirit. And from the Spirit, we each receive different gifts for the purpose of coming together for the building up of the church. So the second thing I want us to see in the text this morning is that every believer is specifically gifted for the purpose of 
of building up the church. And so hitting pause on the text for just a second, that's something I want you to, 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 to just dwell on, just to just chew on for a second. How many of you uh, enjoy doing teamwork, whether it is at home with your family, whether it's at work, whether it's at school? Do you enjoy teamwork? And I think before you answer that question, I think you have to answer or ask this question, okay, well, do I have good teammates or do I have bad teammates? See, if you have good teammates that compliment you and you compliment them, then you're probably going to enjoy teamwork, right? Because whatever the task is that you're trying to accomplish, you're going to be able to get it done much quicker. You're going to put forth good work because they're picking up where you're lacking, you're picking up where they're lacking. It's a beautiful thing. It's wonderful. But... If you have a teammate who is a slacker, who does not want to do their, their, their part of the work, you're probably not going to enjoy it all that much. And see, that's what I absolutely hated about group work in college. See, I uh, had this project in this class one time, a group of four or five of us, and there's this one girl. There's always just one. It didn't matter how many times we would text, how many times we would email and say, all right, we're going to meet at this time in this place. This is what we're going to do. This is what you need to have done. When we come together, she never responded. She never came. And so that's bad enough. But then I kid you not, the day that we're in class and we're going to present, this girl walks in, finds us, and is like, hey, guys, what can I do? And we're like, you can go back three weeks and read your email and your text messages and help us. That's what you can do. That didn't work. If you've ever been in a situation like that or, 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 or similar, you know how much more difficult it actually makes a team project. That's because, like I said, the beauty of a team project is different peoples with different skills coming together to combine their talents. You complement one another, so you put forth work that's actually really good. But when someone does not provide their skills, everyone else has to spend less time focusing on what they're good at to try to do that which they are not good at so as to pick up for the slack of the person who is not contributing. This hinders the team from being as successful as it otherwise might have been. So coming back to, to verses 14 through, through 17, Paul uses some really vivid imagery to talk about the body of Christ and how it must work together to accomplish the mission that he, as the head of the body, has given to us. There, Paul says, For the body does not consist of one member, but of many. If the foot should say, Because I am not a hand, I do not belong to the body, that would not make it any less a part of the body. And if the ear should say, Because I am not an eye, I do not belong to the body, that would not make it any less a part of the body. If the whole body were an eye, where would be the sense of hearing? If the whole body were an ear, where would be the sense of smell? It would be bad, right, if our foot decided, well, you know what, I'm not a hand, so I'm not going to work with the rest of the body anymore. That's probably not going to be a good thing. Same with the ear, same with the eye. Our bodies need all of our parts doing what they were designed to do in order to function properly. What Paul's pointing us to is that it's no different in the church. Paul uses this imagery to show how the church body is purposefully made up of believers with a variety of spiritual gifts. In the section I just read, he's addressing the individuals in the church at Corinth who, who wanted the more visible gifts, gifts that they seem to have decided were more important and better for them to have. Not having them, it would seem, made them feel like they didn't, they didn't belong. They weren't part of the body. But, but Paul says that's, that's not true. 
In verse 18, we see that God, in his infinite and perfect wisdom, is the one who arranges his body as he chooses. Remember, he is the one who adopts us into his family, bringing us into the body of Christ with him as its head. So it makes sense that he is the one who provides us with the spiritual gifting that he wants us to have and to use to build up the rest of those comprising other parts of the body. You know, I, I think maybe then this should cause us to, to, to rethink the way that we approach belonging to a church body. I mentioned earlier, I'm from this really small town called Hayden. If you've known me for five minutes and you've heard me use that I'm from Hayden as an excuse for something silly that I did. In Hayden, there, there's no traffic lights, but I, one time in the 20-minute the, the drive that it takes me to get from I-65 to my parents' house, I counted like 20 to 30 churches. And you may be like, well, uh, Jeremy, there's like 20 or 30 churches in like four square miles here in Tuscaloosa. Well, Hayden, we're talking about like within the city limits of Hayden, 1,300 people, maybe surrounding area, maybe seven, 8,000, maybe a few more. It's not a whole lot of people. So if, if someone decides there in Hayden that, well, you know what? I just don't like this thing at, at my church anymore, or I'm just not feeling it here anymore. Well, they can just start over. Start over the next week, and then the next, and then the next, and then the next, until they've finally decided that they're done starting over. It's the same thing when you're trying to decide on a church to attend if you move into the area. There are so many options that you can pick between the style of preaching that you like, the Bible translation that you prefer, style of music that you like, programming that you think that a church needs to have. It's all across the board. But this is not just Hayden. It describes Tuscaloosa. It describes large swaths of the United States. But here's the thing. Here's what I'm trying to get us to. Is that at what point, when we're running through our checklist of things that we think the church needs to have before we either stick with it or, 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 or join the one that we're going to, at what point do we stop and say, where would the Lord have me be? Where can the gifting that he has chosen for me to have, where is it best going to be utilized for his mission of making disciples? That's what I think we need to recognize. The gift or gifts that God gives to us, he intends for us to use to encourage and to equip others in the church body all to the glory of Christ Jesus. It's not about me. It's about him and the glory of his name. And so that being so, those were the less visible gifts. They couldn't act like they didn't belong in the body. They did and they do. They play a crucial role in the church accomplishing its God-given purpose in the world. And because that's true, Paul then has to transition, which he does, starting in verse 21, to address those with the more prominent spiritual gifting. See, those were the folks that were out front. They were visible. They had talents and abilities that put them up in front of everyone else. See, they were then deciding that because of that, we're just going to look down on our noses at those folks who aren't gifted in the way that we are. They can't do what we can. Every spiritual gift, though, as Paul's already alluded to, is given by God, the one true God, by the one baptism of the one spirit, so that the church, the one body, will function in the way that God has designed it to do. That's what we're seeing in verses 22 through 25. If our churches were only filled with highly visible talents like teaching, we would be missing vital parts. Though not as visible, what good is a church with lots of teachers but zero people gifted at hospitality or service? What would it look like if on a Sunday morning we're all up here competing for time to teach and there's no one greeting people at the door? 
We're going to die. That's what's going to happen because people are going to come. How would we function if there was no one that was well-suited for keeping children in the nursery? We wouldn't have one, and we would probably die. How would needs be met if there weren't people willing to take meals to families that are going through hardships or visiting individuals in the hospital? It probably wouldn't be one that is filled with a whole lot of love. The diversity of talents and abilities within the church is essential to our maintaining the unity that we have in Christ Jesus. As the body, we need one another. And we need one another serving in the way or ways that God has gifted us to serve. If we're lacking in one area, if one part of our body isn't functioning, then we all suffer for it. That's what Paul says in verse 26. If the family of the faith is without individuals with both the more visible gifts like teaching or the less visible gifts like service, then we are missing something that could only help us as a church better exalt Jesus. Every member of the body is vitally important to the overall health of the church. If my foot is not well, it impacts the functionality of the rest of my body. Same could be said of an arm, or of an eye, or of a tongue. And as God, in his infinite wisdom, has designed our physical bodies like that, so he has designed his body, the church. So recognizing this in faithful obedience, we need to be intentional about the way that we use the spiritual gifting that he has entrusted to us so as to serve our brothers and sisters in the faith. And by this, we we point to the gospel and how Christ has bound us together in his death and and in his resurrection. So that leads to the last thing that I want to talk about this morning, is that exercising our spiritual gifting to serve the church is essential in submitting to Christ. So in light of of what we've talked about, like to this point, I think when we get to verse 27, uh, it may kind of seem like, well, what Paul is saying here is counterproductive, like he's just highlighting specific gifts, but that's that's not what's going on. See, verse 27, I think, is kind of like a throwback to verse 18, where, where Paul said, but as it is, God has arranged the members in the body, each one of them as he chose. See, here, I think in verse 27 and, and following, Paul is reaffirming the wisdom of God in giving different talents, different abilities, and different passions to the different people he pulls together in the church. Let's, let's read that together again, starting in verse 27. He says, now you are the body of Christ and individually members of it. And God has appointed in the church first apostles, second prophets, third teachers, then miracles, then gifts of healing, helping, administrating, and various kinds of tongues. Are all apostles? Are all prophets? Are all teachers? Do all work miracles? Do all possess gifts of healing? Do all speak with tongues? Do all interpret? But earnestly desire the higher gifts, and I will show you a still more excellent way. See, verse 28 provides a list of some of the gifts that were given to people within the church, mixing in some that are more visible with those that are less visible. It's, of course, not meant to be an exhaustive list. It's representative of different kinds, but it is not meant as a complete list. So in doing these things, Paul sets up what he then does in verses 29 and 30, where he asks the Corinthians to consider the church and consider if if everyone had just one of the gifts that he mentioned there. Well, the obvious conclusion that they would have to come to is, well, no, not everyone is an apostle, not everyone's a prophet, and, and so on. God hasn't designed the church in that way. And so I think that that should have caused the Corinthians to ask then a a follow-up question. Well, if we're looking down our noses at people who don't have the gifts that we have or we're 
forsaking what we do have in order to pursue what they have, well, does my attitude then suggest that I think God has made a mistake? That I think God was wrong because some people in the church had better gifting and others had lesser gifting? And hopefully the, the answer they would come to would be no. He has not made a mistake. God gives the gifts that he does to specific persons for a specific purpose. That doesn't mean it's, it's wrong to desire to develop other spiritual gifts. I think Paul kind of hints at that uh, in verse 31 and then again in chapter 14. But the desire to have specific talents and abilities so as to make yourself look good, well, that's useless. That doesn't work. That leads into chapter 13, where, where Paul equates using more visible gifts without love to a noisy gong or a clanging cymbal. He says, if I speak in the tongues of men and of angels, but have not love, I am a noisy gong or a clanging cymbal. So this Christmas, Lacey and I got Jackson this little box set of, of instruments uh, that includes uh, a, a little tiny set of, of cymbals. And he doesn't have a gong, praise the Lord, but he does have a triangle and so we've sat down with him. You know, he loves music. He loves making a, a, a joyful noise un, unto the Lord. And so we've sat down with him, and we'll try, like, all right, we're, we're going to play a song, and we want you to, to, to mimic us. We want you to come along with us. And you know what happens? It's beautiful. He's two, and it doesn't work. <laughs> like, it just ends up being a racket. It, it, it's just a noise because the instruments aren't being used the way that, that they're, you know, intended to be used. And being that they're not being used in that way, so from the standpoint of their performing their designed function, they're useless. Obviously, and they're not useless. They make my kid happy, so they can't be that useless. But from the standpoint of actually producing beautiful music that actually makes sense to someone, they're useless because they're not being used in the right way. In the same vein, if you're serving within the church just to show off the talents and the abilities that you have, or just to influence something so that it lines up with the way that you think it should be, then not only are your talents and your abilities, your spiritual gifting, not only are they being used wrong, but that's sin. The expectation is that the spiritual gifts that God has blessed you with are for the purpose of building up the church. If they're not being wielded for the good of the church body, then our spiritual gifting is useless. Look at what Paul says in verse, at verse 3 in chapter 13. He says, if I give away all I have, and if I deliver up my body to be burned, but have not love, I gain nothing. He's basically saying, if I give away literally every possession that I have, or I die a most brutal death for the cause of Christ, but I do these things without love, for the church, then I don't gain anything. Can you imagine that? Our spiritual gifts are to be used lovingly, not to get praise for ourselves or to maintain control over something, maintain control over something, but for the good of our brothers and our sisters, wanting them to increase in knowledge of God and love of God. We can do great things in our churches. We can preach the most eloquent of sermons. We can plan and execute the most impactful service project that Tuscaloosa has ever seen. We can greet everyone who walks in the door with a smile on our face and get them exactly where they need to be. We can run the best nursery this side of the Mississippi River. 
But if we do these things with the wrong motives, ultimately, we're going to miss the blessing of our own personal growth in Christ. And we're going to overlook ways that we can better serve our faith family so as to see them grow and mature in their faith. If you are in Christ, you have received his gift. That being the Spirit dwells within you. Through the Spirit, God is cultivating within you talents and abilities that he chose for you. These are blessings from God given to you to serve the faith family that Jesus' blood bought your entry into. There are many ways that we can express our love for our fellow Christians, but one of the primary ways is by taking our talents, taking our abilities, our passions, and putting them to use in such a way that helps grow someone else's faith. But whether that's teaching a Sunday school class or a youth small group or teaching in some other form or whether that's providing crowd control in a VBS classroom, the condition of serving within the church is that it's to be done in love for other Christians and ultimately from our love for the Lord. Now, some of you might be thinking to yourself, ah, but there is a loophole. If I say, I just can't serve with the right motives, I just don't need to serve, then I don't serve. Well, if you are genuinely concerned about your motives in serving, I would actually tell you that's probably a a good sign, because that tells you there's something for you to be praying about, something for you to be checking yourself with as you're serving. So if you're concerned about your motives as as you're serving, good, stay focused on what is the right motive, that you want to see people grow in Christ, you want to see him exalted. But sadly, I bet what you find is that in most churches you have the 80-20 rule in effect, which is 80% of the work being done by 20% of the people. And that's bad for a couple of reasons, not just because it causes people to wear down and it causes people to serve in ways that they're not particularly gifted. It does both of those things. It's bad because it's not biblical. Hear me when I say this. If you're trusting in Jesus... But you aren't trying to find ways to serve within the church body. That is sin. Now, there may be some exceptions, like you move somewhere new and you start going to a new church. If you walk into a church on the first, very first Sunday you're there and they say, oh, great, you look trustworthy. Can we plug you in in the children's ministry? My advice would be go somewhere else. But too often what you have happen is people treat their church like it's a country club. In our consumer culture, the temptation is to look at the church with the mentality of, what can it give to me? So rather than using our talents and abilities to lovingly lovingly serve others for the glory of Christ, we take and we take and we take and we take from the church to feed ourselves until there's no more to take, and so we move on. Because that's not how this thing works. Jesus laid down his life so that you could have eternal, abundant life. And you can begin experiencing that now through investing ourselves in his body, the church. Part of giving our whole lives over to him, part of our submitting ourselves to him, which is what he commands us to do as he is our Lord and he is the only one with the right to do so, is that means taking the talents and the abilities that he has entrusted to us in using them to serve our brothers and our sisters in Christ. We have to see the importance of wanting to see them grow because in that, Jesus is glorified. That's what this whole thing is about, isn't it? 
It always comes back to that. Our lives are to reflect the glory of God. And one of the ways that we do that is in love, utilizing our spiritual gifts to serve our faith family, thereby increasing unity within the family of God and enhancing our ability to go into the world together to exalt His name. Our being in an invested, serving member of the church body is a big deal. And it's crazy important to our spiritual maturation. And so I hope that you've been able to see that this morning. And it's something that you'll consider as we wrap up. Our gifts have to be used in order for us to grow in how to best use them. They're not fully developed at the moment we receive the Spirit. We've got to use them. So maybe a step in obedience for you this morning is to commit yourself to using your talents and abilities within the church. You know how the Lord has gifted you. That's not a problem. It's just a matter of figuring out where to plug that in. And you know, here I want to stop and just kind of consider like different groups within the church. You know, a lot of our college students are out today, so we won't spend a whole lot of time here. But I would say for the rest of us, this is something to think about as we engage our college students and talk to them and encourage them to be an invested member of the church body. You know, I think it's real easy as a college student to have this attitude. And I say it's really easy because I had this attitude as a college student to say, well, I'm just going to be there for four years, and, you know, I'm not even going to be there the whole time for four years, so I probably shouldn't spend, you know, that much time investing in a local church. I'll just worry about that, you know, when I, when I get a job and I'm really an adult. But that's not faithful to the text that we just saw. Even in college, as a believer in Christ, you've been gifted by the Spirit to serve. And so what are ways that you can be growing through those, those years as a college student? by serving in a church wherever it is you're planted. I think it's a way we can encourage our college students. It's also a way that we can encourage our middle and our high school students. Because I think it's really easy for a middle and high school student to say, that's what the grown-ups do. That's their job. You know, I just got to graduate and, you know, I, I need an A in chemistry. That's what I need right now. But even as a middle and high school student, if you are in Christ, you have been gifted by God for the purpose of serving within the body. And we as a church family, we want to see you exercise that. We want to help you learn how to use that now so that when you get to college, wherever you go, you plug into a church and you continue growing through serving there. And when you graduate from college, you move off, you go somewhere else, you're serving in a church because you've learned it now. I want to see you teach that. I want to teach that. I think for families with, with, with kids, whether that's teeny tiny kids all the way up to almost graduated kids, Listen, I know I get it. It's easy to get bogged down with all the mess that you've got going on. You've got a ton on your plate. You've got to get here. You've got to get there. You've got this practice and this activity. You've got your own job. You've got to attend to your family. You've got all of this swirling around, and it would be easy, easy to say, you know what? I don't have time, I don't have time to plug myself into the church. Look at all of this over here. I have, n- I have no time. But listen to me. Every believer has been gifted by the Spirit to serve within the body. And you serve a crucial role within the body that God has placed you in. It's worth it to plug in and serve because in that you grow and the church is better for it. And ultimately, God is exhausted. And then for senior adults, empty nesters. I think there it's, it's really easy. And I wouldn't necessarily say this is, this is true of fear because I look up to so many of you. 
But it's, I think it's so easy to say that, you know what, they're younger folks, they have fresh ideas, they have energy, let them do it. Let me hand the reins over to them. One of my favorite passages is Titus chapter 2, or in that Titus talks, uh, or Paul writing to Titus, says um, the younger, the, the older generation, the older women are to pour into the younger women, the older men are to pour into the younger men. Through using and exercising the spiritual gifting that you have within the church body, you have a tremendous opportunity to bring alongside us younger folks who don't maybe know exactly how to use the gifting that God has given us. You have the wisdom. You have the years of experience. We stand to learn a lot from you. So don't buy into the lie that maybe it would be better just for the younger people to handle things because they're younger and they have more energy. And you know what? If the staff can help you think through that, know that we would love to. We would love to help you with that. So another, another struggle that you may have, and this is one I think that a lot of people will struggle with, is, well, I don't know how I'm gifted. And if that's the case, maybe start by asking yourself the question, what am I passionate about? And how can you leverage those passions to serve the Lord within the church? Or maybe think about, what are the things that you're really good at doing? I think it might be helpful if we consider things that, that just seem to come natural to us, whether that's crunching numbers or whether that's connecting with people or just making people of all ages just feel welcome. Think about those things and understand that, that through the Spirit of God, through submitting those talents, those things that just come naturally to us, submitting them to Christ, they can be used within the church for her good and for the glory of Christ. So maybe you're passionate about baking and you enjoy serving food to people. So why not use that to take meals to needy families who maybe just lost a loved one, had a baby, or just need a little help, could just use a little pick-me-up? Maybe you're really good at teaching children, so why not serve as a children's teacher? Maybe you enjoy working with your hands and you're really good at fixing things. Are there not members in the church who could use a little help at home fixing something? And again, if the staff can help you with that, let us know. Maybe for you, your response this morning is to repent for how you've treated the family that God has brought you into. It's been more about using the body for your own gain, but you haven't really wanted to serve anyone yourself. And if so, repent of that and look to Jesus to lead you to serve in his body for his glory. Or maybe you're hearing all this talk about being brought into God's family and you, you realize, well, I'm missing that. And if that's you, let me tell you, you're, you're missing a good thing. But you cannot become a part of the family of faith outside of the repentance of sin and faith in Christ Jesus. You know, like I said earlier, apart from Jesus, you're dead in your sin and you are an enemy of God. You're not his child. You're a child of his wrath and deserving of his punishment for your sin. But to make a way for you to know him as your heavenly father, his son, Jesus, came and lived the life that you cannot Jesus lived a perfect life, a sinless life, and yet still took your punishment for sin upon the cross. And in his resurrection from the dead ensures eternal life to all of those who turn to him in faith. And so through our trust in him, we become part of this great family of the faith. So in a moment, I'm going to pray. And as I'm praying, I would ask the ushers to go ahead and, and come on forward to prepare to take up the offering this morning. And so as they are taking up the offering, let me just encourage you, prayerfully consider the text that we have, have covered this morning. 
Use this moment, even as you prepare to give back to the Lord that which is His, consider the words in Scripture. Where and how do you need to repent in light of the words that Paul has written about spiritual gifting in the church? Take a moment to do that. And as a family of faith, let's strive together to encourage one another, to serve one another, and equip one another out of love for one another, and ultimately out of love for Christ Jesus. Let me pray. Father God, we thank you, Lord, for your word. Oh, Lord God, we thank you for the challenge in Scripture. Lord, we thank you, oh God, for the gospel. We thank you, Lord, for what you have done on our behalf in Christ, bearing the burden of our sins in your own flesh, Lord Jesus, dying the death we deserve upon the cross. Lord God, raised from the dead and returning one day. We thank you for the blessed hope that we have in Christ. We thank you for the forgiveness of sins. And we thank you for our adoption into the body. Lord God, as we've seen this morning, we, we understand that that doesn't just mean that just because we're part of the body that now we're here and it's done. No, Lord God, you call us to serve and you equip us to serve. And God, not for our own glory, but for yours. That this gospel, this great hope, Lord God, we would be encouraged by it and we would see it spread from this place and into the surrounding areas as we go to make disciples. And Lord God, I pray that you would convict us of the need to be about that work, of using the ways that you've gifted us for the purpose of seeing more and more disciples made, that your kingdom would continue to grow. We know that it will. And God, to you be the glory. It's in Jesus' name that I pray. Amen.